Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Today on Political Rewind, an exclusive interview with Teresa Tomlinson on the day she's declared her intention to seek the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate. Plus, our panel looks at how 2020 legislative and U.S. House races are shaping up now that the General Assembly has finished its work for the year. This is Political Rewind. Glad to have all of you with us for Political Rewind today. I'm Bill Nygut. we got a lot to talk about, so let's get right to our panel. As usual, uh, the AJC lead political writer, Jim Galloway, is uh, with us in the studio. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the paper, and he oversees the Political Insider blog. Hi, Jim. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you here today. Um, now that we're all still recovering from the legislative session, it's behind us and we can move on to other We've topics. We've got a weekend ahead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Eric Tannenblatt is back with us. He, of course, is very active in Republican Party politics in Georgia nationally. Uh, he was uh, one of Mitt Romney's key fundraisers during the 2012 election. Uh, he worked for a long time with uh, the, the Bushes, George H.W., George W. Bush. Uh, glad to have you here, Eric. Glad to be here. Uh, also with us today and back after we've talked about this briefly, <laughs> her new son Jack yes. has arrived yes. and <laughs> Stacy Evans is back with us. Stacy, of course, was a member of the state legislature and then ran against Stacey Abrams in the Democratic uh, primary for Governor, you look as though you're getting some sleep. Thank you, I am. Jack is a good baby. We're very, very lucky. I've told you before we went on the air, it was really gratifying. We mentioned it on the air uh, right after the baby was born. And uh, so many of our listeners wanted to wish you well. I just thought that was lovely. Thank you to them. That's very sweet. It makes a new mom feel great. Yeah. And joining us, you know, it's really wonderful to introduce you, Teresa Tomlinson. You have been a long time panelist on Political Rewind, and uh, we've loved having you on uh, doing Crossing Swords with uh, Republicans right. on Every the panel. And now you join us having just this morning filed your papers to start an exploratory bid for U.S. Senate. Before we say talk about anything else, help our people know, our listeners know, what's the difference between launching an exploratory committee and actually declaring your candidate? Well, there are certain things that you can't do. Uh, you can't say that I hereby declare. Uh, you have to really actually look into it. So maybe that it's very appropriate in this circumstance. We've been at this a long time. Um, but the terrain has changed a little bit. And I know we'll talk about that more yeah. in depth. Um, but yes, there are some things you can't do, but there are some things you can do. You can and that's now raise be... money and spend money. Okay, yes. right. Yes. Right. That said, why don't we start with the most basic question. Mm -hmm. Why do you want to be in the United States Senate? Well, I happen to be very adept at uh, resolving dysfunction, solving the unsolvable, and it seems like the United States Senate is in desperate need of those skills. <laughs> and so uh, I thought that I had a unique skill set 
uh, that uh, my country and the U.S. Senate needed. So, um, Jim Galloway, I want to bring you in. Of course, I should establish your other credentials. You're the immediate past mayor of uh, Columbus, Georgia, right. but you grew up up here right. in Metro Atlanta in the Shambly, Shambly, Shambly Dunwoody area. I went to Shambly High School. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, um, we'll talk more about credentials in a while. Jim, you want to jump in? Well, number one, the the, uh, the in your press release this morning, there was one major caveat, of mm -hmm. course, and that's uh, that's. What will Stacey Abrams do? Right, and the, your your can your your candidacy could be contingent on that. Uh -huh. I mean, have you have you have you had a chance to talk with her over yes. the last couple of weeks or so? Yes, well, we've stayed. You know, she's been very busy. Obviously, she's traveling now on her book tour. But given that busy schedule, we've stayed in good contact. We've met personally. We've talked on the phone. We have some text communications. Again, when schedules allow, and so she was very well aware mm -hmm. of this. Um, and so we've just touched base during the process. But to, to sort of explain was going on um, you know we've been our team uh, looking at this race for well a little over a year and so back in the fall when you all were all uh, very much engaged in the 2018 effort uh, we were assembling a team and, and working toward uh, making an announcement. And then, of course, uh, Senator Schumer, uh, the minority leader and the head of the Democratic Party in the, in the Senate, uh, really uh, suggested to Stacey, asked her to serve mm -hmm. as the Democratic's nominee, be in that race, and for the DSCC to support them. And so we've been standing down since that time um, because clearly, as I've said before in the show, Stacey has caught lightning in a bottle. Uh, it's a unique time, and so we were standing down letting her consider that option. Now, you, now you, met, you met Wednesday with Schumer. Yes. And Schumer met Thursday with Ms. Abrams. Yes. Yes, I'd actually met with the DSC previously, DSC uh, C previously, um, back in January. And so we've been in touch throughout the process. Um, this last time was, I was actually invited to come up and meet with um, the staff for the entire day. They do a vetting process, uh, go through a lot of different things about structure and, and just the nuts and bolts of the campaign. And then uh, met privately with Senator Cortez Masto, who is the head um, mm -hmm. for this two-year period of the DSCC and then a private meeting with Senator Schumer. Mm -hmm. Just a, a question. You said in your release that if Stacey Abrams runs, uh -huh. that you won't, mm -hmm. that you'll support her. If she doesn't run, will she support you? Well, we'll find out. I mean, you know what we find out. Uh, you know, I, it will be interesting to see because she has a lot of options that, that have been talked about publicly. So if she's running for president, for instance, let's just say hypothetically, um, that might be an odd position for her if it's a contested primary. Uh, so I, I, I don't know, um, but I feel that I'm going to be a strong candidate. And so if we're in that situation and it's the appropriate time uh, to endorse, I better have a very, very good shot at it. Stacey so we'll Evans, I, I, I certainly don't want to, you have not said this, and I want to make Make that clear. Uh, but I think any number of us who go down to the Capitol at all have heard lately, especially from some Democrats, that they're starting to get impatient. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, Stacey Abrams, and Teresa Tomlinson has wisely said over and over she has the right to decide to do whatever she wants. But there's a sense that it's about time that this race has got to be uh, joined pretty soon. Absolutely. Well, and as somebody who recently ended a statewide campaign, you need a runway. Um, mm -hmm. If you haven't gotten to introduce yourself to the voters statewide, you need a runway. Now, Stacey Abrams has the advantage that she doesn't need that runway anymore because everybody knows who she is, not just in Georgia, but in the country. And and Teresa's right, uh, and others who have said it are right, that she's, she's performed well, she's earned the right to take her time, but at the same time, this is Georgia's seat. This is not Stacey's seat or anybody else's. And 
Democrats have a very, very good chance to win, to unseat an incumbent and help Democrats take the majority in the Senate. And so if it's not going to be Stacey Abrams, we've got to get going. And so I just want to commend you for, for starting that process, yeah. e even with the caveat um, yeah. that that's got to be weird. But <laughs> but I'm so glad you did it because we need we need to get going because we got to win. It, yeah. it is actually fitting sort of naturally under the circumstances. It's It's been an evolution of the process. And um, and this feels very right. Uh, we were bumping up against the FEC uh, $5,000 limit for those who maybe don't know all the rules and regulations when we begun to to stand down and none of my folks have been paid for this eight, 10 week period and, and thank you to the team. Um, but there were just nominal expenses and once they, you know, we were waiting and then the time frame had to be extended because of uh, Stacy's book tour, which is fine. We just had to do this. And so the exploratory committee was the perfect solution. Yeah, I, I think the conversation took a corner uh, this week when Abrams was on MSNBC, The Morning Joe. Yes. Jim, I love it. Finish that thought, and then we'll actually listen to what, well, one of the things she basically said. Basically, what she said was that she's still considering the presidential run, mm -hmm. and she'll make a decision on that in September. If you're making a decision on that in September, you can't be running for, for Senate right. in the right. spring. Let's listen to uh, uh, what Abrams told MSNBC. Are you considering a run for the White House? When, you should jump in. I, I am thinking about it. I truly am. I think that the timing for me is first deciding about the Senate, because I do think you cannot run for an office unless you know that's the job you want to do. Mm -hmm. I don't think you use offices as stepping stones. And so my first responsibility is to determine whether a Senate run is right for me. And then the next conversation for myself will be, if not the Senate, then what else? Okay, but that's a pretty quick timeline, though, on a decision? It, it is. Well, I, I think the, the Senate decision is going to be pretty sh uh, short term. Mm -hmm. I intended to do it in March, but because of my book tour, I had to push it back. But I do want to make a decision this month. Mm -hmm. And then I, I don't think you actually have to make a decision about the White House before the fall. Teresa? Yes. Uh, you've heard her say that yeah. uh, any number of times. It is. It is when I saw the news release that your team sent out this mm -hmm. morning. The headline is former mayor files for Senate race in Georgia, comma, running if Abrams doesn't. Right. Uh, the comma is problem. It, it's got to be a little awkward. Well, I mean, it's it's unusual, but this whole thing is unusual. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've all been in politics a very long time. I've never seen anything quite like this. And that Stacey Abrams is this strong, progressive um, voice on the national stage, um, that the DSCC has, um, you know, really come in and said, this will be our candidate. That, that all is very unusual. But at the same time, I have to say, um, Stacey has been... Uh, gracious with me at this time because I think that um, it was a difficult uh, position for her I'm sure as these opportunities began rolling in at a clip that she could not have imagined up until you know November yeah. uh, late November let me so. ask, let me ask a question to both you uh, uh, you and you and Eric and that is 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 the the, the this this upcoming Senate race in Georgia it, could it be the race that determines control well, sure. I mean, I think that this is going to be a hotly contested election across the board. It's a presidential election, mm -hmm. and there's Senate races. I think the Senate map is uh, better for, is not as good for 
uh, Republicans as it was uh, the the last cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of competitive seats, and and I think um, you know to. Uh, Senator Schumer trying to recruit Stacey. I mean, it's it's all about money. Mm -hmm. You know, they they have scarce resources and they got to deploy it uh, where they think they can make the the biggest difference. And I think in the case of Stacey, because her name ID is so high, they probably view her as a, a very competitive candidate. But but I got to say, as an observer, not a Democrat, <laughs> that if if I was uh, someone in the Democratic Party, I, I would think Stacey's starting to come across as looking pretty self-centered and, you know, to Democrats in, in, the, in the state. And I think I think you're starting, you know, you said you picked up some things down at the Capitol. I think there is that sentiment here. You may not see it nationally among Democrats, but I think here in the state, people are wondering, do you really care about the Georgia Democratic Party? Because you can't wait much longer. And if she decides not to run and you hadn't taken this action today uh, it's it, every day that goes by becomes more and more difficult let, let, I think they're getting frustrated I mean I don't know that it's it's uh, in the negative light that you have well, of course it, you want but, her support yeah, yeah. but I, I think no I really do think that people are just they're anxious they want to go it the level of enthusiasm around the state is like nothing I have ever seen in an off year there should not be a hundred and ten people packed in to a pancakes and politics breakfast in February of an off year. Mm -hmm. What is going on? People are very engaged. That has happened so, to you. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, Just want to make sure what you were it's saying. Happening all there. over. Yeah. And I think you're right. It is. Mm -hmm. It is more frustration because there are 110 people at the pancake breakfast that are going on all over the state. Yeah. Um, and David Perdue is out there saying what he's saying and doing what he's doing every day, and there's not a candidate calling him on it. Mm -hmm. Whereas now that you're in it. I know that you will be holding Stacey, his feet to the fire. Stacey, let me, you have let to have me, a campaign let, to do that. Okay. Let, me, let me stop for a second, uh, because David Perdue has already weighed in. Uh, he was in Macon this morning and uh, was asked about the fact that you have now filed uh, as potential candidate for the U.S. Senate. Let's listen to what Senator Perdue had to say. Well, I think she'll be a good candidate. Uh, you know, she was a mayor of Columbus, and uh, this is a representative democracy. I'm anxious to see how the Democrat uh, primary runs next year, and we'll see who the candidate uh, against, us, against us will eventually be. Sounds like an endorsement. Let me throw it out to all of you. How tough is David Perdue going to be in a general election? His favorable unfavorables are higher than it, at least the last time the AJC polled, which has been a little bit of time now, but they were higher than Brian Kemp. They were higher than President Trump. He's still underwater. I think he was sitting at about 44, 45 percent yeah, approved, favorable. I think he was up to 45, 46, okay. 47 yeah. in, in a January poll. Right. And up more in the suburbs than other Republicans. Yes, as yes. I so that's a how key, tough is yeah. he going to be? I want to give everybody a chance at that. I think he's going to be tough, and I think that's why we need to get going in the race. I mean, he's an incumbent. Um, he's going to have the support of the president, which means money. And he, he beat how many people last time to yeah. win with yeah. with that damn jean jacket, right? <laughs> um, he's, he's, let, let's be honest, he's going to be tough. Yeah. But yeah, don't, don't so is Teresa Thompson. Yeah, don't yeah. knock the jean jacket. It I works. Think he's, hey, I like jean jackets. It yeah. works. <laughs> he, he's he's going he's to be a very formidable uh, incumbent. And, you know, when you're running a state race, like we just saw in the governor's race, the issue sets a little different. And you know, one thing I'd like to ask you, because, uh, you know, this is going to be a national election. You're running for the U.S. Senate. 
you know, you saw this when Zell Miller went up to Washington and, you know, he threw his hands up because the National Democratic Party was so far to the left from uh, where Georgia voters are. How are you going to deal or what's your position of things like the Green New Deal mm -hmm. and, and some of these progressive issues, which seem to be really the focus of the National Democratic Party. Right, well, I think on a lot of those things, uh, Eric, they're actually, I am a progressive, and I'm a proud progressive. I just happen to be a pragmatist. Having been a mayor, I make government work, right? And so a lot of these things that when Republicans such as yourself are talking about them and your hair gets on fire about, oh, that's so far left. The fact of the matter, if you take it down in bite sizes, and, and by the way, had we listened to Al Gore and Jimmy Carter, the quote, uh, Green New Deal would not be as, extreme in your view. It could have been more incremental. Now the runway is a whole lot shorter to resolve what is climate change and damaging our farmlands and our shorelands and our city streets and so forth, right? So I, I think when you talk about can a progressive from Georgia uh, make it in Washington, D.C., where there's going to be other mm -hmm. Uh, perhaps more quote-unquote liberal views. Well, the fact of the matter is if you begin breaking things down and thinking how you can make that and adopt that incrementally, you'd be surprised how the people then understand it. It's only when uh, Republicans are allowed to own the microphone and say that's just a liberal, far-left, uh, economy-crushing proposal. Um, but hopefully I have all, all of the confidence in the world that I can break it down and show people how they save money off of something you, you know, that it, actually saves the environment. It's, it's, it's interesting, Eric. The ground is shifting on, the environment, yeah. on environmental issues. <clears throat> Just this week, we had uh, Congressman Buddy Carter down in Savannah. He represents the first district, which covers the entire coast. Quite he, a conservative Republican. Right. Mm -hmm. He wrote a letter to the Trump administration <laughs> saying Georgia wants out of the oil ex exploration uh, mm -hmm. approval that he was going to give on, on the Atlantic seaboard. Yeah, of course, Governor Deal had opposed, had said yeah. he didn't want it either back when he was in office. Well, yeah. so. The climate change thing is costing Georgians and cities. In Columbus, our streets, we've had 100-year floods, several 100-year floods in 10 years. Our, our city streets are flooding. They're cracking and all this. That's happening all over the place, and we're not even on a shoreline. Yeah, I, look, I don't, you know? I don't, we, don't yeah. we, we can so debate every... Anyway. I guess my big thing is that, you know, unfortunately, and I really do mean this, unfortunately, mm -hmm. we have become such a polarized yes. country right now. And Washington in particular, it's become a team sport. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to decide, are you going to vote for Senator Schumer for leader or Senator McConnell for leader? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the National Democratic Party, I think, is completely out of line with, with Georgia, even progressive you know, some, some people who identify themselves as a progressive in Georgia. Stacey Evans, why don't you weigh in at, on, on this? Because you ran, when you were running your primary campaign mm -hmm. against Abrams, you ran a somewhat more traditional, from the, a somewhat more traditional democratic mm -hmm. uh, philosophical center. And she ran to the left, and we saw what happened there and how close she came to winning the governor's seat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we were both running as the progressive candidates that, that we are. I think her race took on more of a national tone okay. and I, mine was more Georgia. And I think some magical combination of those two things is what's going to be necessary to win. You obviously need to catch at least some fundraising fire nationally because it's going to be an expensive race. It is a national position because you are in the U.S. Senate. But at the end of the day, the candidates who did the best in 2018 were the ones that kept it local. If you look at Michigan and many other states, and, and I think that's going to be the key for us it's as Democrats to, to straddle. I, 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 I did an interview with uh, Senator Purdue about oh, a week and a half ago, and one of the things, it's funny you brought up the, the denim jacket 
jacket, the jeans jacket. <laughs> One of the things I said to him was, you know, Senator, you made a lot out of being an outsider mm -hmm. in your first run for the U.S. Senate. You're not an outsider anymore. I mean, you are now a close ally of President Trump's. I don't think you can be much more of an insider than to be tied to the White House. So if you're not an outsider anymore, how do you position yourself? He said, I don't agree with that. I will still run as an outsider. President Trump remains an outsider, a disruptor. What do you think of when you hear him say that? Well, I think it's hard to characterize it like that, obviously. And we'll have plenty of time to get into the campaign. Um, but I know also I've heard him de describe himself as a co-pilot uh, for the president, an influencer of the president. And that's clearly an, an insider, you know. Uh, and also, I think, um, you know, one thing that citizens want, particularly in Georgia, is they want accessibility. Uh, they want to know their elected officials are responsive to them. And I think that that defines whether you're, quote, an insider or outsider. How much time are you spending on the streets of Georgia and in town halls and things of that nature responding to the concerns of the citizens? She, it's that, interesting. Yeah. Teresa Tomlinson didn't quite say it, but one of the knocks we always hear about David Perdue is that he hasn't been doing town meetings. Mm -hmm. There are people who come back from Washington and say, gee, we were with a business delegation. We met with uh, Senator Isaacson. We met with some of our members of Congress. We had trouble getting a meeting that would include Senator Perdue. I, I don't know to what extent that's really happening, but it's certainly in the atmosphere and will come up during this campaign. Well, you, uh, he is engaged. He, uh, he has been running for some time as if he were going to face Stacey Abrams, and he understood that that was going to be a, a, a race. He's been coming home quite a lot. I mean, that clip that we just played, he was in Macon, I believe. Yes. I mean, they're, they're, they're off this week, I think. But, uh, but he is, uh, maybe he's not doing formal town halls, but he is, he, he is. He's he out is, there. He yeah. is out there with a full campaign. No, in, in campaign with a, with a, with, in, in campaign But is he out there as a member of the Senate? Y yeah, and, and okay, I, don't know what, I don't know what atmosphere, you know, who you're who you're talking to, but I have found him since he got elected to be very much uh, okay. out and about. Uh, and it almost seems like he was running for re-election after he got elected, which I think is a is a smart move. You know, one one thing that's interesting that a lot of people don't realize is statewide Republicans, if you look in the last three decades, when they when incumbents run for re-election, they do a lot better with uh, the different demographics that didn't vote for them, for independent voters and even some Democrats, because there's a skepticism because they don't they they just think oh you're a Republican so I can't support someone like that. And then once they're in office and they show what they do and they have a record, they're more willing to vote for them. And David Perdue, just like Johnny Isaacson, has been very responsive to constituents. Thank you. And that's I'm, important. I, again, I, I made the point that I. That's why he's showing higher in the polls, I think, because people very well see be. what he's done. So let me throw one other yes. question to you. Um, uh, Cody Hall, who is of course Governor Kemp's press secretary, is watching the show right yes. now and he uh, said to, uh, apparently sent a note to Tom Faust saying ask Teresa Tomlinson uh, where she stands on getting this emergency relief package yeah. you know, and, and how see, you make it happen. That is a critical example sure, we of all need function in Washington, D.C. In what world are we pitting U.S. citizens against each other mm -hmm. in order to provide disaster relief? This has become a Senate of, of ego and dysfunction. It seriously is. Why are we talking about we have had disasters from fires to floods to hurricanes 
Puerto Rico was affected by a hurricane, and Georgia was affected by a hurricane. Why in the world are we pitting U.S. citizens in Puerto Rico against U.S. citizens in Georgia? This country has never done that before, and it's because of political ego. And that's exactly... Is that true on we, both sides of the aisle? We need another ethic. We need another ethic. Why, why in the world this Puerto Rico second-class citizen type thing even began is unfortunate because it's contrary to the ethic of the United States and how we respond to our citizens when it's come to disaster relief. So what has happened is people are not looking at a solution or the resolution, they're addicted to the fight. Should the Democrats be continuing to fight with the president on the Puerto Rican piece of this if it continues to stop the package mm -hmm. from getting to farmers in your neck of the woods what, and below? What, what we need to do, and I, Mr. was it Cody Hall you said? Yeah. Mr. Hall, what, what we need to do is provide the relief that is needed for Puerto Rico because it has been appropriated and not distributed. And that's what's causing the debate. And so we can provide the desperately needed relief here in Georgia. Why this has become a political football of some citizens being more important than the other only shows that we have the wrong leadership. And as long as we keep electing the wrong people, we're not going to get good government. Just numbers, I think maybe 41, 44 billion dollars has been appropriated. Maybe 11 billion has gotten into it, Puerto yeah. Rico, I think is the number. Right, and five million of that was just debris removal. I mean, you know, this is a, and, and what happens, this is why people aren't thinking, what happens if Puerto Rico becomes civic civically dysfunctional, right? What happens if it, if it just breaks down? That is one of our territories. It's so close to the United States. What happens when there becomes a civic vacuum? Why is nobody thinking about what this means to the United States and to our national security interest and just the interest of our fellow U.S. citizens? Um, we're going to have to take a break. Anybody want to weigh in one more uh, uh, question for Teresa Tomlinson? All right. Uh, Teresa Tomlinson, you know, for over the last four plus years, you've come in here as a member of the panel. We've, as I said when I introduced you, it's been great to have you here. Now that you're launching or on the verge of launching a campaign, we can't have you as a regular panelist anymore. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, with that in mind, yeah. uh, because you're on the verge of candidacy, uh, we're going to continue today's conversation yeah. after uh, saying goodbye to you, wishing you well. It'll be fascinating. Thank Just you. think, will I be talking about you instead of <laughs> listening to you? Well, I'll tune in when it's good. Uh, right. I'll turn you off. But, but, Bill, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. No matter where I go in the state, people talk about this show and how refreshing it is to hear people talk in a civil matter about things that are important and how, uh, how it educates them to the nuances of the issues and why maybe there are stumbling blocks of the things that seem like they're so easy to do. So you're providing real service, and it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Thank Teresa. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's do this. Let's take a break. Before we take a break, I want to say one important thing. Uh, Stacey Abrams, we've been in communication uh, ever since the governor's race about having her back on the show. We're still uh, hoping we'll be able to do something with her. We talked to David Perdue's office about bringing him all the time, him in all the time. If another Democrat emerges in this uh, Senate race, of course that Democrat will be welcome. Just want to make sure you know that our intention is to give you an opportunity to hear from the candidates who are running uh, for the U.S. Senate and beyond. With that said, let's take a break and we'll come back with more on Political Rewind.
Lawrence Bartley spent 27 years behind bars. Now he's out and he's created a print magazine to distribute back into prisons. Many of the men on the inside just wish they can just have a glimpse of what the outside is. And I thought it was important to bring that to them. I'm Ari Shapiro, a former inmate's quest to bring stories to the incarcerated. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. It's 4 till 7 on GPB and gpbnews.org. Are you thinking of getting rid of your old car, truck, or RV? GPB's Vehicle Donation Program is here to help. Donating has never been easier. We'll take care of everything, including free pickup of your vehicle. Just go to gpb.org cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR. That's 877-472-1227. And thanks so much. My name is Chuck Reese. I'm the editor of an online magazine called The Bitter Southerner. I've seen decades of misconceptions about the South from the Beverly Hillbillies on down. But in my new podcast with GPB, we're going to challenge those stereotypes and paint a very different picture of the American South. Join me for The Bitter Southerner podcast. Details are at bittersouthener.com. I'm Ira Plato. Have you had a hard workout, a long run? Don't ice those muscles, don't stretch, roll those thighs. This week on Science Friday, debunking your exercise recovery routine. Plus, Washington State Governor Jay Inslee talks about focusing his 2020 campaign for the White House on climate change. It's all on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Today at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org. We're back on uh, Political Rewind. Our thanks to uh, Teresa Tomlinson. Uh, Jim Galloway, uh, with Teresa Tomlinson being on the verge of entering the race, forming a committee, uh, starting to raise money, is the dam breaking here? Are we likely to see other Democrats who may be a little cautious about Stacey Abrams but now feel we'd better I think, you're going, I think you could see a, a, a many more exploration committees for So who's going uh, John Ossoff, we know, is considering it. Sarah Riggs Amico, the, the Demo former Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor. And, and let me ask you, uh, Stacey. I'm uh, not running. No, no, no. no, 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 no. <laughs> but I will tell you what, one, one name that has just jumped up in the last mm -hmm. couple of weeks, and you can probably imagine why, why is, is that of Jen Jordan. Have you, have you heard? I have. I have. And, and um, I've known Jen for a long time as a lawyer, <clears throat> excuse me, as a lawyer. And as a friend, and she'd be extremely formidable. She took uh, she took mm -hmm. the lead in the uh, in the fight against uh, HB 481, the, the heartbeat mm -hmm. bill. Yeah, and suddenly found like it certainly not with the magnitude of a Stacey Abrams, but for that brief period mm -hmm. of time, uh, Jen Jordan was all over Absolutely. the national news because of her impassioned speech. I would have to also say, if Stacey Abrams does not run. There'll, there'll be a minority candidate, an African-American candidate that mm -hmm. will get in that Senate race, too, because all the candidates you uh, just referenced are, are white candidates. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Maybe Michael Thurman. We've talked about that on the show once before. Yeah, or maybe after have. the show. Maybe we didn't do it on you're, the air. You're not <laughs> ready to announce for anything, are you? I, I'm not announcing anything today other than my baby uh, woke up only two times last night. Wait, you said excited. today. <laughs> well, for a while. <laughs> I don't want to lose another panelist. We like having <laughs> Stacey Evans. <laughs> uh, Eric, let's, let's talk just a little bit about that, uh, that what, what we did a minute ago. It, it, David Perdue has aligned himself with Trump as closely as any other uh, official on Capitol Hill. Um, 
Is that going to serve him well in, in his reelection campaign? Or is he going to have to be a little cautious? Well, no, I think he, I don't think he's going to run from having a relationship with the president. Well, he can at this point. No, but I, I think it's, in, I think it's a benefit to the state to have the ear of the president. And I just happen to know uh, just from talking to people that the president values David's opinion. And, and I think that having a U.S. senator that has influence, I, I want David Perdue to have the president's ear because I think David Perdue is a wise person and has uh, some good things that he could, you know, good ideas of how to approach things. And, you know, when there are times that get contentious, you need to be able to have people that can pick up the phone and, you know, share some wisdom with, with the president. So the fact that our U.S. senator has that relationship, I think, is a positive. I don't believe he's a clone of the president, and he's going to have to, you know, show where he uh, differentiates himself uh, from the president. But I think it's a net positive. I, I think what, what if, 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 we, if, if we're guided by the, 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 the most recent governor's race, uh, Brian Kemp got 50.2% of the vote by concentrating slowly outside Metro Atlanta. Right. Uh, as, as we've said, uh, 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 David Perdue does a little bit better in, in polls within suburban Atlanta. I think he's going to have to really work to hang on to that. If he can hang on to the Northern Arc, or at least do better uh, than than Kemp did, then I think that then I think he I think he'll do all right. But it, there are going to be some things that that, that impact him, uh, just as they impact every other uh, Republican, like like HB 481, mm -hmm. the 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 heartbeat bill. That is going to hurt Republicans of uh, at all levels uh, in North Metro Atlanta. I think. Absolutely, I, w I would hate to be David Perdue or other candidates who are trying to juggle, how do I do well in the suburbs? How do I do well with folks that maybe aren't feeling great about Trump, whether they're Democrat or Republican, but also keep him happy? Because I think if you talk to most normal leaders um, uh, and, and candidates that have run with, with them in the leadership, like let's say, for example, Nancy Pelosi and somebody who might be running for Congress, I've heard she says, where I can help you, I'm happy to be there. But if it if it helps you to uh, not mention my name, do it. I, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Trump's ego is so frail and so sensitive that a David Perdue can't not. How's that for a double negative? He can't not embrace <laughs> the president because then the president will but, lash out at okay, him. Okay, but Stacey, I can't help. I mean, this is me speculating and reading into mm -hmm. the comments that David Perdue made. I can't help but think to myself. Boy, is David Perdue relieved if it's Teresa Tomlinson, not Stacey Abrams. Not that Teresa mm -hmm. cannot create, build herself into being a really formidable candidate, but she's got a lot of groundwork to do before mm -hmm. she becomes Stacey Abrams sure. and Absolutely. has that, right? She has to introduce herself. I think from a money perspective, certainly. Yeah. Um, he's happy about that. But uh, Teresa has very, very good credentials, as do some of the others that have been mentioned. And... Um, so I don't know that he's not, he may be less nervous for different reasons. But the other thing, too, is keep in mind that the Democrats have an open primary for president. And you have, I don't know what it is now, 30 candidates running? And they're all going to be competing for money. Mm -hmm. And and so here, Teresa, who or whoever gets into the Senate race, if Stacey does not, is going to have to introduce themselves and try and garner support while competing with all these presidential candidates. And when you have a presidential race, that's really the race, the top of the ticket. That's true. Uh, the, 
Question for you, um, and, and Bill, I hope you don't mind changing topics, but I, with, with Eric here, I've but got to... You know, you're, you're virtually a co-host. Right. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> okay, just if we can shift off Purdue just a little bit, we've got this this very, very interesting race shaping up in the 6th District. Republican That's where I was primary. headed. <laughs> uh, with, with you here, we've got to ask you, how do you handicap the, the Karen Handel and Brandon Beach? Let, let's say one thing before you sure. answer that, just to frame it a little. Jim, you mentioned on this show a while ago, when Karen Handel first declared that she was a candidate, you said you thought it, the timing was interesting because she was declaring her candidacy toward the end of a reporting cycle. Mm -hmm. And the question was whether that was a smart thing to do because it meant she'd have to report and maybe not. And in fact, she came in with, what, 340,000? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So right. she, especially for a candidate who, over her history, has never been thought of as a great fundraiser, she did really well. She, she did, and, and, you know, Senator Beach was tied up in the, in the legislature. I haven't seen if he's disclosed any numbers. I know that he was, he, was raising, he was raising money. Look, he has a constituency up in North Fulton. Karen has the whole county or the whole district and she represented the county and and was secretary of state so brandon has a similar you know challenge to teresa and that he's got to introduce himself to the mm -hmm. rest of the the district where karen doesn't have to spend as much as as brandon does so uh and karen has it appears as though she's being treated as an incumbent if you look mm -hmm. at the endorsements that came down from yeah. you know leader mccarthy scalise i mean right, really right. and the congressional delegation so i think it's a uh it's going to be uh, an uphill battle for um senator beach but look he he's he's a fighter so i wouldn't i wouldn't rule him out um i i also think that uh Having a woman running against a woman is appealing to a lot of people, especially mm -hmm. given what the Republican Party saw just happened in the last election cycle with mm -hmm. suburban women. She got, Kendall uh, uh, received the endorsement of six of Georgia's nine uh, incumbent House yeah. members, uh, Republican House members, but which means three, three, three didn't. Uh, David Perdue and Johnny Isaacson are also staying out of this contest. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, are that, there that other Republicans sense. that are getting in? Uh, the only one I've heard is Brandon, uh, Brandon. the two of them, but I'm not sure. It's still, still early. Uh, Brandon Beach, uh, Jim, you've pointed this out on the show before. Brandon Beach has been a popular uh, legislator uh, mm -hmm. up in uh, Alpharetta, North Fulton County, uh, but his big issue has been transportation, uh, transit being part of that, right. and mm -hmm. Gwinnett turns down MARTA. The legislature ends up not expanding the tax uh, uh, districts for right. rural Georgia. It, I, I don't know how much impact that has on Brandon Beach's campaign, but he can't now claim that his work as the champion of uh, transportation has paid off. Well, what 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 you thought what, what some of us thought might happen is if Gwinnett had passed the the uh, the the MARTA referendum on March 19th, then you would have had some con, you would have had some contagion yeah. uh, to in in North Fulton that would have that probably would have Could helped, have helped him. him. All right. Yeah, I, before you get off of that though, I don't I don't, don't want to. Brandon Beach deserves a lot of credit for really raising the whole transportation issue. Yeah. So while we didn't get the outcome that some wanted, 
he gets a lot of credit from his time on the DOT board to chairing the transportation and, committee. And the bus rapid transit system Correct. that's going yeah. up 400. Right. He was on the Greta board at one point. So, so Brandon has done a lot to right. elevate the whole debate in right. transportation. Well, he chaired the North Fulton Chamber of Commerce for a while. He did. Yeah. As, he did. As, as did Karen Handel. Oh, Karen did as well. Okay. Well, I think to they me, had the same position at one different times in history. Yeah, I served briefly with Brandon, and I think he had a, a reputation as being a more moderate Republican and as someone that could work across the aisle really well. Now, he's going to be hampered by some votes that he, of course, had to take as being part of the Republican majority in the legislature. But I think he would have an easier time in the general election, I think, than Karen, certainly seen um, as less... Um, Finish. Less, I didn't far, mean to less far right than her, in, in my opinion. My While opinion. we're talking about the six, the now incumbent Lucy McBath posted an ad uh, on, on social media, I think on her website as well, that uh, Jim shows us health care. She still sees health care, which yeah. helped her enormously in her first race as a big issue. Basically, it says something to the effect of uh, Republicans are killing our health, whatever. Right, right. Are, a, we it, were, it, are making us sicker or whatever. Right. It was a DCCC uh, web ad yes. that, that was that was going out there. And it, and it but, but what it showed is the focus that that the position that health care is going to take in in all of the federal contests that yeah. are coming up. Yeah. So. Um, let me ask you all a question, because I'm always mindful of the fact that uh, Political Rewind is a statewide show. And so when we start focusing on congressional races, mm -hmm. we're talking sixth and seventh, because they are the most highly competitive mm -hmm. seats. Mm -hmm. But are we going to see th across the rest of the state in 2020, is everybody just locked in, Jim? I think yeah. To, to answer yes, I think so. Okay. I think that's pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and and as Eric uh, was was saying, money is a big part of that mm -hmm. because you're going to have a presidential cam campaign campaigns sucking sucking all the cash out of the out of the system. Uh, and and quite frankly, it's been we are now uh, almost ten years away from the last uh, redistricting, mm -hmm. and you've you, all these uh, the, uh, the 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 weight of the populations are kind of heading toward the the, the current incumbent. Okay. Plus, plus, the, you know, you get outside of Atlanta and the Atlanta region, uh, Georgia's Trump country. Yeah. You know, yeah. and yeah. and there's going to be a lot of focus of the presidential race in the areas of strength. Well, the numbers are are definitely less favorable to Democrats in some of these out mm. the 11th uh, where I live, the first down on the coast. But I think you're going to see quality candidates, uh, just like last time, running because. It could be another wave election. You might, and in a wave election, you never know. Especially in the 11th, uh, where yeah. Barry Loudermilk is, mm -hmm. because uh, Loudermilk lost Cobb County. Right. Uh, and his district goes into Buckhead. Right. Too. So yeah. Bluestein just sent a tweet. Uh, I don't know if it's a response to what we're talking about, but he says Democrats are going to have contenders in every congressional district, which hasn't always been the norm. That doesn't mean they're going to fare particularly well, but it means that Democrats statewide, Stacey, are mm -hmm. looking to get serious across Georgia. Absolutely. You can't win if you can't run. And, yeah. Uh, so I think folks are going to be there because you never know. You know, one of these days we should talk about how Sanford Bishop the Democrat from Southwest Georgia, the, really in a very red part of the state, he's been in that seat for since yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for yeah. 15, 16 years. He manages to hold on. We should talk about him at one of these days. We need to get him in that seat. <laughs> all right, we'll bring him in. I think he's been there for 25 years. It, right? it's, has it been that long? Right. Don't forget the seventh, though. I think that's going to be a really interesting race. Why? Because I think that the Republicans are going to have a really spirited primary, and I don't. we don't know all the candidates yet. The one that has announced is Renee Unterman. 
Um, but I think there's going to be some others. And I Brenda think Lopez, gonna... uh, she may jump in, uh, a Democratic uh, state rep. Right. Up so there. there'll be a primary on both sides, mm -hmm. but I think that's going to be an interesting race. All right. Um, while we're talking about upcoming races, Stacey Evans, um, no sooner had the session ended the other day than uh, uh, Melita Easters, mm -hmm. who runs the Georgia win list, started talking about the candidates, the women, the pro uh, 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 choice women Democrats who she recruits mm -hmm. uh, every uh, every year. Uh, she's starting to build that group of people who she wants to bring in to challenge Republican incumbents, especially after the passage of the uh, uh, abortion uh, bill. Let's in talking about that. Let's look at a spot mm -hmm. that Stacey Abrams Fair Fight Georgia has now put out that tells us something about where Democrats like Amelita Easters might be headed. Let's uh, listen. Georgia lawmakers, they're hoping we'll forget. Forget when they trampled on women's rights. Forget about the money they tried to take from our children's schools. Forget that their faulty voting machines don't guarantee our votes will be counted. But we won't forget or stop fighting for a fairer Georgia. So let's remind them that they work for us. Stacey Evans, uh, the ad really is talking about 481, the, the bill that essentially outlaws abortion. Uh, it's talking about the fact that there were Republicans who were endorsing a scholarship bill that would have taken money from public school students and deferred it if they wanted to go off into private schools. How effective is that message going to be in, in both recruiting any Democrats or, or and, and recruiting women like Melita Easters wants to do and then winning some of these seats? It's going to be extremely effective, and I think the Republicans know that. Uh, you, it's not a secret that the Republicans were not excited that they had to vote on that heartbeat bill and that there were plenty of people who took a walk or suddenly had engagements they had to go to. Uh, I think in, in South Georgia in particular, the voucher issue for, for education is, is a harmful issue. Um, and I think the fact that Brian Kemp signed the, the new voting machine bill essentially in private shows you that that's not something that Republicans are looking to brag about. So not only is it something that's going to be very effective for Melita and others who are, are great at recruiting candidates, a great shout out to Melita. She's, she's wonderful, particularly around recruiting female candidates, but her and others who are recruiting and the Republicans know it. Jim and Eric, uh, the Republican argument on the other side, especially of 481 is, are you kidding? There, yes, Democrats have an issue, but we're going to mobilize all of those conservatives who for a long time have said we must do this. Well, you, what, what you saw is you saw Republicans actually making some gains on the abortion issue in New York and in Virginia with legislation that would, was, was, was assuring some women under circumstances, some circumstances, uh, access to late-term abortion. And then you have this bill, 481, which would ban abortions after six weeks, which essentially bans all ab abortions because women don't know that they're pregnant. So it's it 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 really uh, it it kind of it kind of steps on that national message, uh, and that's that's where their problem is. Mm -hmm. Eric, what do you think about this? How much, and in fact, this is a good segue, uh, and, and I'll ask you to answer it in in this context. Um, Galloway has a, a column that he's posted online and it will be in the paper on Sunday. Yep, yep. So pick up your constitution and read it. 
basically saying that Democrats are now trying to claim the mantle of being the party of business, partly because of 481, the abortion bill, also because of the Delta jet fuel tax, which didn't pass again. Um, it did, did more moderate Republicans suffer in this legislative session, and will it hurt at the, uh, at the uh, voting booth uh, in 2020? Well, there's a number of issues to unpack in your, in your, in your question. I You're think right. you need to separate out the heartbeat bill. Uh, and there's no doubt that there are people, legislators, Republican legislators in the uh, suburbs, Atlanta and the suburbs, that that was very difficult. I mean, I, when I was on your show last time, I was you know, applauding Deborah Silcox for standing up and mm -hmm. casting a vote the way her constituents wanted her to, her to vote. A and Republican who voted against right. the uh, for right. that, that took courage to vote against uh, vote against the leadership. And I, you know, just listening to people, uh, especially women in the Atlanta area and the suburbs, uh, they weren't happy with what happened there. But there were other parts of the state where. Uh, you know, they were very happy to see that that bill get passed. I don't, you know, the business community was silent on that bill. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as we saw when RIFRA was a big issue in the last session or uh, two sessions ago, uh, the business community, the chambers of commerce were very vocal in, in fighting uh, the RIFRA bill. They were relatively silent on the abortion bill. And when asked, uh, you know, the, the feedback you got was that, well, we have members that, you know, this is a personal issue and we don't, we don't want to get engaged uh, in that. So I don't know if there were, if there were other reasons, but I think that the fact that they were quiet on that bill, um, it really is the, the business community. So, so Jim, Jim, break out the uh, Delta fuel tax. You have an interesting observation well, about the fact about the governor. Right, 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 exactly. Uh, I mean, this is something that uh, we came across only after, after Sine die. Uh, and that was that on on the day uh, on the morning of the last day of the session, you had Governor Brian Kemp uh, and his you know s small small followers there uh, go to meet with the Senate Republican caucus, and he said he can he can do without any any resolution on the airport the Atlanta airport issue. He could do without any resolution on the uh, the uh, HB uh, 511 the 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 rural Georgia transportation uh, bill. What he needed and what he, the only thing he asked for, for from them was the Delta tax break. And he didn't get it. And How, how does that happen? The that governor, is, in a first term where you want to, if you're the, in his party, want to make him look as good as possible, how do you do that? Well, he said, Jim just said this happened the last day of, of the session. And so, but, but there's so many, look, this session we had a new governor, a new lieutenant governor, yeah. We had a speaker that was dealing with some issues. So there was a lot of dynamics going on. And, you know, you have the whole session to work on these issues. And that transportation bill, towards the end, there were a lot of things that were lumped into it. So you don't know if there were other aspects of that that were hard to extract. But, 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 but the point is, he could not even get eight Republican votes that would have allowed him to, to, to form an alliance with Democrats in that chamber. And passed the bill. Well, well, it's going to be. It was, it was. It was a snub. It was a very significant snub. So it'll be interesting. People should read your column again. You can read it at AJC.com or, or wait for the Sunday paper. It'll be interesting to see how much success Democrats have, saying they are now the party of business. Stacey Evans, before we have to finish up, I want to turn and start with you on something else. Um, Stacey Abrams has weighed in again. She was on a lot of shows yesterday promoting her book. Uh, and uh, she weighed in again on MSNBC on the Joe Biden 
controversy. Let's listen to what she said, and then I want to get your take on this. We cannot have perfection as a litmus test. The responsibility of leaders is to not be perfect, but to be accountable, to say, I've made a mistake, I understand it, and here's what I'm going to do to reform as I move forward. And I think we see Joe Biden doing that. I think the vice president has acknowledged the discomfort that he has caused. He has created context for why that is his behavior. And he has affirmed that he will do something different going forward. And I think that's what we should be looking for. Stacey Evans, your take on all this has is the fact that Joe Biden, I covered him, for, I, I spent a lot of time covering his first presidential campaign, covered him when he was a, a chair of the Judiciary Committee in Washington. And that is who Joe Biden is. He's always been mm -hmm. the guy who embraces, who hugs, the, it, it, and now it's really coming back right. to hurt him. Right. And I, I agree with a lot of what Stacey Abrams said in that segment. And I, I hope that we are not getting to a place in politics or, or in life where we can't hug each other. Mm. Um, I hugged you when I came in. Yeah, and you know, okay, and that's an interesting moment yeah. because normally, uh, in the old days, mm -hmm. I would have, I would have uh, immediately, you know, mm -hmm. with people I know, hugged. Now, right. I'm a little cautious. Right, right, right. And, and, I, and I hate that because I think yeah. human connection is important. But I spend my, in my, in my day job, um, I am, I am a, I'm an attorney and I spend a lot of time representing people who have been falsely accused in the media. I do a lot of defamation work and the, the rush to judgment, the piling on, the um, conflating things like sexual assault and sexual harassment with invasion of personal space, it's very dangerous. Yeah. And, and I hate that this is the conversation that we're having because I don't think it's good for society and I think it also uh, diminishes uh, the, the true Me Too movement with sexual harassment and sexual assault to talk about Joe Biden in these same sentences, which is what's been happening throughout the media. And, and that bothers me. Do you, do you think the Democratic women will, 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 uh, will let him get past this? I hope so. Uh, I, I, think it, I think it would be a shame if they don't. And, and I think this whole situation with Joe Biden um, and, and some other situations that we've seen in Virginia and other places has really um, shown hypocrisy on both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, and when people are willing to come out and say, oh, he should be forgiven for that, or oh, he should be pounded for that. Um, I think you've seen a lot of Democratic women and Democrats in general come to Joe Biden's defense, as they should, because I don't think there was any ill intention in what he did. Um, but I don't think that same grace would have been given if this had been a Republican and vice versa, you don't see any Republicans rushing out to defend Joe Biden, whereas they were more than happy to um, defend Justice, now Justice Kavanaugh. So there's a lot of hypocrisy out there and that also disturbs me. Yeah, I think, we, I think we, some of it too is, is, some of this is being fueled by his opponents in the presidential yeah, race. I was gonna say, Democrats yeah. seem more than willing right. <laughs> to yeah, uh, one, take one, on. one thing, that right after, after Biden's video came out uh, where, where he, it wasn't an apology, more, it was more of an explanation yes. and, and, a, and, a, and a promise to change behavior. But uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, mayor of Atlanta, mm -hmm. sent, put out a tweet with a photo of her and Biden touching f foreheads. And, and said that she was perfectly happy with that, essentially, in the yeah, tweet, she, right? She, she, she found it, uh, uh, I can't remember the words she used now, but it was... Uh, she uh, said, everyone's experience is their own. As for mine, I found my introduction and interaction with Joe Biden to be genuine and enduring. Dear well, you had that right lined up. We're in good shape with you. Uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, one last thing, and it's got to be quick. Uh, as a Republican, Eric Tannenblatt, do you really want the president to be poking at Joe Biden over this particular issue? No. 
<laughs> that was <laughs> simple as that. By the way, here's where Joe Biden gets himself in trouble. He's he talked. He was uh, uh, covered live by a lot of the net uh, the cables today. He was at a union gathering, and during his uh, his uh, a speech. He made a joke about this. He said, I want you to know that I asked whoever the union leader is with their permission before I hugged him. I'm not sure that sort of thing serves uh, Biden I, I don't well. think that, was, that wasn't a gaffe. I don't think that was a gaffe. Oh, I don't think it was a gaffe either. I just think it's Joe Biden sometimes. He was talking to a, a bunch of union yeah. people who are probably yeah. mostly white All right. men. All right. We are completely. All right. We're out of time for today's show. Uh, Stacey Evans, Eric Tannenblatt, Jim Galloway, so great to see you. Um, I did want to take enough time to be able to say you probably know by now that we're going out to Athens on Monday night. We'll be at the University of Georgia at instructional plaza, which I'm told is right next to the J School. You ought to be familiar with that, Galloway. Jim Galloway will be uh, with us. Greg Bluestein will be with us. Um, Charles Bullock, the All dean right. of political scientists, will be with us as well. And we're going to have a number of, couple of students from UGA to talk about the issues that matter to them. Monday night, 7 o'clock, go to politicalrewind.org and uh, sign up for a free ticket. That's it for us for today. Thanks for joining us for Political Rewind. See you with Galloway Monday at 2.